All right, this time very quietly, the kids are dismissed for Asbury Church kids. And so if you want to slowly, quietly walk that way. Oh my goodness, for everybody else, if you want to take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42. And uh, I think I may have put in my notes that it was Luke 2, 42, but that happens to be a Christmas message. Um, so we're like, wait, Acts 2. But um, it, it's, it's so good, again, to be here. How many know that common experiences unite people? Okay, if not, I'll share it. Common experiences unite people. You can get people from all sorts of backgrounds, send them through a specific experience, and it will begin to unite them. You'll actually begin to form something that may begin to resemble a community. We watched this take place on Friday into Saturday. So... We had a flight back from Seattle. I told you we went to Seattle to uh, go see Sam and Riley and Emily and Maeve. Oh, my goodness, she's beautiful. Did I tell you I have pictures? Anyway, different story. Um, we, we were flying back. We flew, flew from Seattle to Charlotte. And then we got to the gate just in time to note that we had a little time for Chick-fil-A. How many are grateful for Chick-fil-A? And so we had some Jesus chicken. And then we get back to our gate and it says it's delayed 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, okay, 15 minutes, no problem. And then they're like, it's delayed again. Now, we were supposed to leave at about 10, well, I think it was 9 something. We were supposed to be back to Syracuse by just after midnight. And so we're watching as the clock keeps getting moved. And we're like, oh, this isn't going to be fun. And then they were finally at the place like, hey, guys, it's okay. Everybody can board the plane. And we're like, praise Jesus, we're getting home. It may be a little late, but it's okay. And so sure enough, everybody loads on the plane. And we're like, all right, let's get this, let's get this show on the road. And then the steward comes on, and he's just like, hey, just heads up. We're waiting for the pilot. Okay. I don't know if you're aware of this, but... It, it would seem to me that a pilot is kind of, you know, important for a flight home. And, uh, and so we all sat on the plane. Well, needless to say, as everybody's sitting there, first we're late, now we're waiting for a pilot, the, the conversation starts going around. And I'm sitting next to a, a lady who was a bit of a firecracker. She married a Canadian, and, uh, but she was from the States, and she was, she was a feisty one. And... Uh, it, it, was pretty, it was pretty funny because um, she hadn't had a smoke for a while because she's been in the airport, and she hasn't had any liquor, and so she was uh, a little agitated, and so it's like building and building, and so they're like, yeah, this person's not here, and uh, you know, pilot's not here, and we're waiting, and then we get the thing, they're just like, hey, pilot should be here in about 15 minutes. I'm like, okay. Okay, a little bit longer, a little later home, but we can make it, and then... Everybody on the plane starts getting texts. The text I received was, because of your reservation, you have a complimentary hotel stay. And then we got the little notification that our plane, our, our flight was uh, delayed until 5.30 a.m. Yeah. And we're like, oh, my goodness. And so we, you know, got to tell you, the little community on the plane. Lots of different backgrounds and places, and we were all experiencing something together. So needless to say, we all had to exit the plane. And there wasn't a lot of happiness going on. 
a little aggravation. And they're like, go wait in the line. And so we had to go wait in a line. And so there's hundreds of people waiting in a line. We're sharing a great experience together. And then we're just like, oh my goodness. And so needless to say, for the next several hours, there are hundreds of people trying to find anywhere comfortable in an airport to get a few winks of sleep. And so we found a place where we were laying down on concrete. How many know concrete with a little bit of carpets? Just, oh, it's beautiful. And so we, that's what we did. We, we tried to sleep for a few hours. And then we got up, and all the coffee places were closed. Like, this is just like, it's just, it, this is our experience, right? So we all get to the gate, 5.30 in the morning, as they're saying. So we get there, and it was so amazing because all of a sudden there were two pilots that come walking up. And again, hundreds of people waiting for a plane. Two pilots walk up, and the cheers start going up, and there's applause at the wee hours of the morning. As you look around and human debris laying, still laying all over the place, it was so great. And then they're like, hey, guess what? Um, we're still waiting on our flight crew. We're missing, yeah, exactly. And I'm like going, oh, my word. And we finally all got back on the plane when the flight crew arrived so we could fly out. I got to tell you, there was a sense of camaraderie on the plane. Like, you, we, we had shared annoyance but there was also this sense of shared victory. We're all getting home. And it was just, it was kind of interesting because a common experience all of a sudden begins to unite. It, it begins to bring together. And, and, and this, I think, is so important. So th this morning, we're, we're going to talk about building community. Because as the church, there is something that we share, and that is an encounter with Jesus Christ. And because of our encounter with Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, it begins to unite people, different backgrounds, uh, different experiences, you know, like di different, and, and all of a sudden, we become something together. Now, our, our theme verse, so we're, we're kind of going through this better than good series where we're reflecting on the gospel, and um, our, our theme verse is actually Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 that says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation uh, of everyone who believes. For in this gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. But, but I want you to note something. It says it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Now, in, in our thinking, this is how we often think. When we think about our salvation, salvation is always thought of in a personal kind of matter or an individual. So, so think about for yourself, when was that place when you were saved, where you had that encounter with Jesus, and you begin to think about, oh, it was this moment, it may have been when you were a child, it may have been when you were a teen, it may have been when you were an adult, but you're like, I had this experience. But what Paul is writing here is, is this salvation isn't just about the salvation of an individual, it's also a salvation that all of a sudden begins to create a community that begins to create a people. And this, I think, is so important as we think about salvation. It's not just about a, a, an individual experience that we've had, but it's the creation of a people. So as we think about this this morning, the big idea we're going to think around is this, is that the gospel of Jesus 
is building a victorious and vibrant community. That the gospel of Jesus, it's saving individuals and, and it's, it's saving them and bringing them into this great big family. And, and, and so Christ, through the gospel, is building a victorious and vibrant community. The idea of victorious is that we get to share in Christ's victory. Aren't you grateful that even though we may face hard and difficult things, ultimately, in the end, as Paul says, we are still more than conquerors? How many know that we get to share in Christ's victory? How many think that that ought to affect the way we, we see our world? It ought to reflect the, the, our, our, our countenance. That you know what, that, that we are a people that, that are victorious. And, and so God is working through Christ Jesus in the gospel to build a victorious community. But not only that, to build a vibrant one, one that radiates and exudes life. I'm convinced Jesus didn't call us just to survive, but to thrive. Jesus said this, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, life to the full. Not life, sort of, that Jesus has come to give us life. And so this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42. Because this was an idea that, that, that for Luke, he was so, boy, it captured him. And we see this because, again, Luke writes, and, and the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, we need to see not as two different things, but really just one continuous story. And to really understand what, what Luke is doing, not only do we begin with the story of Jesus, but we have to look at what's going on in Acts, which is the birth and the development of the church. And what is the church? The church is the community of the redeemed. The, the church is the community of those who have been rescued by His grace, that, that have been redeemed and that have been restored, that we are a community. Now, in Jewish culture, like as, as Luke begins his, his book, he, he talks about the day of Pentecost, and, and Pentecost was a, was a time of celebration. In, in some ways, it, it was kind of, it's kind of like the way we do Thanksgiving. Are you all excited about Thanksgiving coming up? It's the celebration of harvest, right? It, it's the abundance, and, and so we'll all sit around tables with way more food than we can eat, Right? And we'll gorge ourselves and we'll have leftovers for days and we'll feel good about it because we're like going, look at the abundance that we have. And, and, and the Feast of Pentecost was 50 days after the Feast of Passover, which was the celebration of the harvest of what God has provided. Don't we serve an amazing God who just fills our lives with good things? Aren't you grateful for our Savior's bounty for us, our God's, His kindness to us? He like pours out way more than we recognize and even more than we deserve. And so part of what Pentecost was, it was the celebration of God's abundance that was manifest through the harvest. Well, as, as, as this tradition developed, by Jesus' time, not only were they celebrating the harvest, but they were celebrating the good stuff that God has given the people of God. And one of the things that they celebrated specifically at Pentecost was the giving of the law. You remember the story where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments? And the law was given. And please understand, the law was given not so much as to restrict people, but as to define people. The law was given to help say, you know what, this is what it means or this is what it looks like to be a child of God. This is what it looks like to be the people of God in this crazy messed up world we live in. And so the law was given to define a people. 
Now, for Luke, this became something amazing because as, as Pentecost becomes the motivating uh, beginning or, or, or the beginning part of the church, he wants everybody to understand that as the people of God, the thing that's going to define us is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That, that what the Spirit of God, that the thing that characterizes our lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Christ has done for us, His life, death, burial, and resurrection. And not only that, but that the power of God has been poured out, to, poured out into our lives through uh, the Holy Spirit. And so because of this, um, he begins right at the end of Acts chapter 2 is he gives a synopsis or a picture of what this redeemed, vibrant community looks like. And this, I think, is so important because as we look at this, we'll find out that God is trying to build a community, a people that reflect His heart, that reflect His character and His nature. And so this morning, we're going to look at five characteristics of the people God is making. And this is what the gospel is doing. It is making us. And it's an opportunity for you and I as we reflect on this to begin to evaluate ourselves. How much of our lives is reflecting the, the purpose that God has in making a people of God? So y'all ready for this one? Yeah. All right, you guys, how many are a little tired this morning? How many are a little warm? Look at your neighbor and say you're looking good this morning. You guys, some of you look like it's been a rough, rough week. Like, oh, good Lord. All right? All right, y'all with me on this one? God's trying to make church a vibrant, victorious people. All right, just trying to help us. Okay, so number one, God is building a committed people. So one of the things that characterizes the people of God is their commitment. So this is how it begins in Acts chapter 2, verses 42. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted themselves. So the church wasn't about forcing you to do something. What the church did in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the working of the Spirit in them is they devoted themselves. They begin to devote themselves. Now, the word that is used here is the idea of attending constantly to something. Uh, it's to continue to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. It's the idea of that, you know what, that the church, they said, we are going to do this because this is important uh, to us. Now, the early church manifested a commitment, a commitment that was greater than Convenience. How many here like convenient things? Oh, yeah, I love it. I love, how many of you, you, we know Christmas is coming. How many of us like shopping through Amazon? Oh, I don't have to go to the store. I don't have to deal with the lines and the people. I can put on my own Christmas music, and I can shop, and I can have it delivered to the place, get it wrapped, and don't have to touch a thing. How many think that's pretty cool? I, I love that part. I'm like going, this is especially with family all over the place. Because if I have to buy them and then ship them, it just, it costs an arm and a leg. Amazon will just, they're shipping it anyways. They'll just send it where I want it. I'm like, perfect. I love the convenience of it. 
I, I like things easy. When we were in Seattle, Rachel was noting right around where uh, Samantha lives, like within two blocks, there are three Starbucks. There's one on that side of the road, and there's two on this side of the road. On each side of the road, there's its own building, Starbucks. The third one is actually inside the Safeway. So if you're getting groceries, you can get your coffee. Because how many know it's easier just to get your coffee while you're shopping than having to go across the parking lot to where it is, right? We like our convenience. And we really, we live in a culture that embraces the idea of convenience. And you want to know something? That idea and mentality has actually crept into the church. That sometimes, when it comes to church, we like it convenient. I was kind of joking with the people at Dryden this morning, because who likes to go to church at 9 a.m.? On a Sunday. Like, dude, that's way too early, right? I would rather go to the 11 o'clock in Lansing. And then I just kind of chuckled, because how many know, even if church starts at 11 o'clock, doesn't mean you show up at 11 o'clock, <laughs> right? But, but so often our culture is based on what is convenient. Like, if it fits my schedule, yeah, I'll do it. If, if it's the way I like it, perfect. But the early church... When it came to following Jesus, they, they took seriously the command of Christ that says that, you know, who, where Jesus says, whoever would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow. I don't know about you, but the cross, I don't think, has ever been convenient. That there was this, that there's a dedication and there's a commitment, there, there's, a, there's a seriousness, there's a value that says, this is important to me. And so the early church, what defined them was their commitment. They committed themselves. And they, they, Luke identifies four key ways, that there are four things that they were committed to. They, they were committed to the apostles' teachings. And the idea is just simply that, that if we're following Jesus, we need to understand what Jesus is saying so that we can follow him. And, and these are the people that have been with Jesus. And, and so we need to devote ourselves. We need to dedicate ourselves. We need to be good students of what Jesus has said. So they devoted themselves. They were committed to it. To the, to the teaching, it says, to the fellowship, to doing life together. That, that they were actually a part of a community. It wasn't just about a personal faith. It was about a community faith. And I think sometimes this gets a little lost on us. Did you know that you're a gift? Everyone here who's a follower of Jesus is a gift to the church. Did you know that? Did you know that when you're not present, a gift isn't present? Wow. Wow. That means that someone else can be missing out because you're not a part. And the early church said, listen, we, we, have to, we have to devote ourselves. We have to be committed to this stuff. Because, you know, God isn't just rescuing an individual. He's creating a people. So they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
And the breaking of bread is the idea of communion, that they, they were devoted. They, they were not going to forget what their Savior had done for them. And they also committed themselves to prayer. So next week, we're actually going to talk about prayer a whole bunch more. And so I'm not going to say much on that, but they devoted themselves. And so I want you to know the first characteristic of the people that God is making is a people who are committed, who are devoted. The second thing I want to note, the second characteristic, is that God is building a conscious community. I use C's in all of these today. That's my, that's the, today's sermon is brought to you by the letter C. How many remember that from Sesame Street? Okay, good. Conscious, right? To be conscious means to be aware. Some of you, uh, well, let me, how conscious are you this morning, right? So I, I, I remember the, uh, reading a cartoon when I was a kid. I loved this one. I thought it was so funny that I still remember it as an old man. And the, the thing was the definition of semi-conscious. And, and the definition is this, the awareness of large trucks. <laughs> Some of you are slowly getting it. You're, you're becoming aware a semi is the large truck. You're like, yes, that's it, right? But, but, but the idea of to be conscious is to be aware. Aware of what? I, I love it because the early church, they were aware. They were consciously aware of God's presence and His power. It says this in verse 43, that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by or through uh, the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe. They had an awareness of God's presence and His power. Now, if you read Proverbs, it says this. It says, that, that um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the idea of, uh, in Jewish culture of wisdom is that it's the path to flourishing. It's the path to life. You can never find the path to life without an awareness of God's presence and His power and His majesty. Now, we've all been in places where we experience awe, where we, where we, we touch something that is far greater than us. Sometimes you can step into a cathedral and there's a sense of awe that is generated. Other times you can be in nature and all of a sudden you become aware that there's something bigger than me. In some ways it takes our breath away. We become aware of it. In the early church, it says that they were filled with awe. Like there was this sense of God's, an awareness of God's presence and His power in their midst. And, and wherever there's a consciousness about something, what it does is it begins to change our behavior. How many of you, when you're driving down the interstate and you see a car sitting in the median, all of a sudden you tap the brakes? Because how many know if there's a police car, you become aware of it, you change your, even if you're going the speed limits, how many of you do that, right? Just because you're aware of it. And see, the early church, they were so aware of God's presence. Because for the early church, it wasn't just a power that was outside of them. It was a power that filled them. And with it came this, this sense of expectation. It says that there was signs and wonders that were being performed, that, there was this, that this, this thing was being fulfilled, as was talked about in Acts chapter 2, where there would be these signs and wonders. 
And what's so amazing about this, this is the language of, of deliverance. It's how God brought his people out of Egypt. He brought them out with signs and wonders that God intervened in time and space in history to rescue, redeem, and restore. And aren't you grateful that he still does it? And when God's people are filled with a sense of awe, it begins to move, it begins to shift our expectation. There's one place that you, you can read in the Gospels where Jesus came to one town and, and he couldn't do any miracles there. He can only just do a few miracles. And the reason why is because it says that the, the people, the community, they lacked faith. There was no anticipation, there was no expectation. And I'm convinced that what God is trying to do as, he, as we come together, as we become the church, as we do life as he's calling us to do, we become aware of God's presence and our hearts begin to lean in with great expectation that we serve a God who steps into to touch, change, to do signs and wonders, to do the miraculous, that God really wants to bring life to dead things. And we need to have that expectation. God is building a conscious community. You see, our expectation is influencing our environment. Our, our expectation, our, our sense of awe and wonder of God's presence, our awareness, our, our awareness of it is influencing the environment that we are a part of. So we see that God is building a committed community, a conscientious community, or a conscious community. But He's also building a, a compassionate community. A people who, who are moved by the needs around them to the degree in which they begin to respond to them. It says this in, in verse 44, that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. That, that, that this early church, they were moved by the needs of the people around them. If, if you read the story that's going on in Acts chapter 2, all these people have come from all over and they have encountered the risen Christ. They, they've experienced the, the message and they have responded to it. And instead of going home, they're all hanging out in Jerusalem. And how many know that at some point you can run out of money for the vacation that you're on? You know what I'm talking about? And then what? I don't know if you know this, but eating is kind of important. Right? Like, not only eating, but, but having a place where you can stay and sleep. And so what was happening with the early church is all of a sudden, God was up to something, and these people are beginning to hang out together, and there were 3,000 that were added to their numbers, it says in, in verse 41. And then, what do we do with all the need? Do we just send them away? If you ever remember the story, the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples were like, Jesus, there's way too many people here. You need to send them away. And Jesus is like, no, you give them something to eat. And they're like, well, how are we ever going to do that? And he goes, well, what do you got? And then Jesus would use what they had to feed the people. In the same way as the early church began, there's this great need. And so the question is, is how do you feed them all? So the question is, well, what do you got? And so it says that some people are like, oh, you know what? I got a piece of property I'm not using. I can sell it. And they sold it, and then they would use the proceeds from it in order to meet the needs of people around them. And this is one of the amazing things about the church. How many know that the church is a, is, is like when the church is being what the church is supposed to be, how many know it's a generous and compassionate people? 
So many of the things that we take for granted in our culture have actually been shaped by the compassion of the church. In Roman culture, it was a common experience to find babies left on the sides of roads, abandoned. Because a parent would have a child and say, this isn't the child I want. So they take the baby and they just leave them to the wild and let the wild do what the wild does. And the early church said, that, that's, not, that's not right. This little baby is a life that God created. And so because of it, the church would begin to adopt and bring into their own family all these little kids. And so the practice of adoption that, that is prevalent in our culture actually has roots in Christian compassion. Did you know that hospitals... You know why there's a cross that's often associated with a hospital? Because of the cross of Christ. Because in Roman society, when people were sick, they were often isolated and set aside. And, and the church was just like, you know what? We serve a Savior who steps in. And, and when we were sick, He healed us. And so what the church began to do is they began to set up places where sick people could be cared for and ministered to. You see, compassion is a part of what God is trying to do because there is a broken world out there. And the question is, is have you ever asked, God, where are you in the midst of all the junk that's going on? And God would say, I'm here working through my people. That we are called to give expression to His care and to His compassion. So God is trying to build a, comp a compassionate community. We all know John 3.16 that says this, For God so loved the world, He... He what? He gave. How many know that a compassionate community is a generous community? And I'm so grateful for Asbury Church because I want you to know this is a generous community. Whether it's giving toward boxes for families at Thanksgiving or, or Operation Christmas Child boxes, different needs. It's always so amazing to watch as people step up and give. Sometimes it's done in secret, and it blesses others. Like, there are, there are wonderful stories of how people just responding to God's prompting have been generous, and it has blessed other people. And I'm so grateful for a church that does that, because this is the type of church you're saying, hey, you know what's going to be the church? You know what's going to be the people? You know what's going to reflect me is a compassionate church. Not only that, God is building a connected community. It says this in verse 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. How many know that doing life together is more than just a Sunday service? Okay, so some of you don't know this. Doing life together is more than just a Sunday service. It, it's, it's not just, like, being the church isn't that, I showed up on a Sunday, therefore I am the church. The church is actually about connection. It's about doing life together, not just on Sundays or during big events. It's also welcoming people into your home. I love that it says they met in the temple courts. Like, it, there was a large public gathering where the church would meet together. But then they would also go to different homes. 
and they would eat together. How many believe eating together is important? Okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pick on something just for fun because I think this is an important idea that everybody needs to understand. How many know that eating or preparing food for people is more than just making food? How many know you're actually sharing a part of your life? Right? Like you're 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 actually you like you're sweating. I love to cook. I actually I'm actually not a terrible cook. I love to cook and I love to make stuff. And I'm like, here, have some food. And when I share food with people, I'm not just sharing the food, I'm sharing a part of me. And you do the same thing. I remember when we grew up, my, my parents, they, they helped us become good humans. And my parents taught me this. Dave, you need to eat everything that's set in front of you. Because someone is sharing their life with you. One of the things I think that has happened in our culture is because it's so individualistic that we've become way too picky. Where we sometimes reject other people's stuff rather than graciously receiving it. I think, so parents, all you parents with kids out there, you need to make your kids learn, and this is a discipline, you need to help them learn to eat things that may not be their favorite. So in our household growing up, if we said we didn't like something, do you know what that automatically put us in line for? Doing the dishes, right? We were allowed to say, that's not my favorite, but we couldn't say, I don't like that. And if it was put on our plate, you know what we had to do? We had to eat it. Now, some of you are like going, oh, we want to give our children permission to not eat something because we want the permission not to eat stuff. But the early church, and, and just so you know, this is a missionary idea, because I grew up around missionaries, that what the culture offers, like when they're offering you food, they're actually offering something of themselves that's good. And if you reject it, you're not rejecting food, you're rejecting people. In the early church, they would eat together. And I think sometimes, folks, I think sometimes we are far too picky. And in so doing, what we're doing is, is instead of receiving something graciously and joyfully, we actually create offense. Now, what's interesting in this verse, it says they ate together joyfully and with sincerity. And the word sincerity there in the Greek literally means without stones. And the picture is a path that doesn't have any obstruction sticking up. Have you ever been walking along on a path and there's a rock sticking up and you stumble over it? The early church said, listen, hey, when, when we eat together, it's going to be something that's joyous and, and something that's going to be without stones. We're not going to call, it's not going to be an area we're stumbling in. And just so you know, they didn't always do well at this. And so it actually became a, a, an idea that gets developed through the New Testament is what does it mean to be God's people? And one of the things is this, we actually learn how to eat together 
We learn how to eat together with joyful and grateful hearts. And, 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 and I think that, that we're all in this, this place of how do we become the people God wants us to be? Hey, some of it is, it's okay that we don't always get everything we like. But we can be grateful for everything that's been given. So what does it mean to be the people of God? It means to be connected. And, and, and I, I want to challenge you because we are the church. And more than just doing church on Sundays, which I'm grateful for. Number one, thank you for coming to church any and every Sunday. I'm grateful that you're here. But connection is more than anything that could ever take place on a Sunday or in a service. We actually need to do life together beyond the doors of the sanctuary or more than just scheduled time. Can I challenge you to invite someone out to eat this week? Go do coffee with them. Maybe have them over to your house. Maybe go shopping with them. Do something with another person because in so doing, you're actually developing community. Because again, shared experiences unite people. So we need to be the church that God's calling us to be. So God is building a committed people, a committed community, a conscious community, a compassionate community, a connected community, and lastly, they are building a considerable community. Okay, so you know how hard it is to find the right C word for this last one? Because it says this, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. But I want you to know, the, the, the challenge was this, is it's more than just numbers. Though there was numbers that were added, it was more than just the adding of numbers. The, the idea here, it, it, it carries the idea of in, increase, but it also carries the idea of putting together for a purpose. That when God added to their number, there was a purpose that He was doing. And again, I'll say this again, everybody who's a part of Asbury Church is a gift. And there is something that you bring that as God redeems you, as He rescues and restores you, and He begins to release you into His purpose, that there is an incredible blessing and benefit that you bring to everyone around you. You see, as the body of Christ, we were called to serve His purpose, and we are being assembled to do that. And the reality is, is there's always room for more. It is the heart of God that he is not willing or wanting anyone to perish. But not only that, he doesn't also want us to be alone. So here's an interesting thought. If you ever think about this regarding uh, the creation of Adam, you remember he was in the garden, he was given a task. God made Adam, put him in a garden, and gave him animals to give names to. And then he looks at, and then we find this statement. It says, it is not good for man to be alone. Just so you know, he had his pets, and he had his God. but he was still alone. He had his pets and he had his God, but he was still alone. So, so God ends up making another person. We need people in our lives. I know some people that are just like, you know what, I, I have a relationship with God and that's all I need. And I will tell you biblically, it is not good for man to be alone. Just God and me, that's all I need. No, that's, that, is, that is wrong. 
That is bad theology. That isn't even biblical. Because wherever God redeems one, he ends up making a family. How many know that God chose Abraham to do what? To make a family, a people. God has created us for relationship. And we need to be a considerate, like we need to be considerable. We need to make room for people. Because salvation not only rescues people, but places them in a family. And we always need to be a church that makes room. Not only inviting people to experience the life of Christ, but also giving them a seat at the table and an opportunity to be a part. To be a church that empowers others. Again, every person is a gift to the church and for the church. And because of this, we're actually better together. And this is what the gospel does, the gospel of Jesus. And you need to understand this about the gospel of Jesus. It is building a victorious and vibrant community. I want to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to close in just a moment. My prayer is that we would be a people that reflect the life and purpose of Christ. To be a people who are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we might together manifest the Father's purpose in our world. To be a community that is committed. I want to challenge you. As you think about your life, as you think about being a part of, of the church, being a part of Asbury Church, what is your level of commitment? How is devotion manifest? Where are the areas that you can grow? Not only that, God's calling us to be a community that is conscious of His presence aware of his, his presence and His power, and to actually come, come together with expectancy that God is going to do something. How many believe God wants to do something in our midst? Three of us, four, five, six. Okay, now it's going up. And we have to lean into that. We, we, have, to, we have to nurture that expectancy. Not only that, we need to be a community that is compassionate, that continues to respond to the needs of others. We need to be a community that is connected, where we do life together, not just on Sunday during services, but all through the week, that we might be a considerable community, a community that grows with purpose. Again, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just rescuing individuals, but it is also creating a community. May we be defined by the grace of our Savior and empowered by His, Spirit, by His Spirit. And may we allow this experience that we have of encountering Christ continue to shape us that we might be the community He's calling us to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your life, Your love, Your goodness. Lord, I thank You that You are in this place and that it is Your gospel that changes us. That, Lord, it is your gospel that unites us. 
no matter our backgrounds, no, no, no matter what, what experience, what, what, what our social economic experiences, our education, that, Lord, we are united in you. And, God, may our unity grow. God, I pray that you would help us be the people that you are calling us to be. May we be a committed people, a conscious people, a compassionate people. Lord, may we be connected. Lord, I thank you that you're at work in our midst. And God, we choose even in this moment to do our part. Well, we can't change anybody else, but God, we can make decisions for us. And so, Lord, we choose to be the people you've called us to be.